This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Now available in more homes than the Pac-12 Network, we are the Podcast of Champions. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online. And here he goes, Miles Jack! And I'm Ryan Abraham from uscfootball.com. Liner, going to try to sneak it ahead. Touchdown, SC! We are the Podcast of Champions. Welcome, everyone, back to the Podcast of Champions. I'm David Woods, Bruin Report Online, the UCLA site on the... What are we working on? 24-7 Sports Network. Yeah, and I'm Ryan Abraham from uscfootball.com, the USC site on the aforementioned 24-7 Sports Network. Together, David and I, together, like, what are the twins from the... the what are those... Uh, it was a, a superhero twins. The um, they would like put a ring together. What were those called? You remember, like from the cartoons, Power Rangers? What are we no, about? there was like a, oh, um, uh, uh, God, um, there was like Batman and like the DC. I think it was the DC ones, like uh, Wonder Just, Twin, Justice Wonder League? Twin Power, Wonder yeah. Twin Powers, Wonder Twin Powers. Wow, that was hard. That was what an introduction this is. We're killing it. We're thriving. Absolutely. We're just, sitting in here in your absolute sauna of an office right I'm sorry. now. The Eric AC is not working. I just talked to Gerard Martinez for about 90 minutes about USC and just went rolled right into this one. Wonder Twin Powers Activate. We are the podcast of champions talking all things Pac-12 football. And we have to finish up our off-season report today. We did, you know, some of the other schools. We got to do California schools. That's what we cover. We're going to talk about California schools a little bit later. Uh, we got uh, some questionable USC and UCLA experts on, and we have uh, Jackson Moore who's going to cover Cal and Stanford. But if you have any questions or comments for the show, Pac-12 keep them podcast. to yourself. <laughs> Pac12podcast at gmail.com is the email address, or you could call or text us at 424-532-0678. Uh, we don't have any texts or voicemails. We had some voicemails last week, but we were like in a rush. Um, and we're not going to bother to go back and look at them. So, uh, you can, if you want, but you can also tweet us at pack 12 podcast on the Twitters, the website where we put up all the shows each week and, uh, put a little tidbits about what's going on. Pack 12 podcast.com that you can put that in your little Chrome browser or Safari, whatever. And our, our little website comes up and you can check it out. If you're on over on Reddit, you can just do a search for podcast of champions, but Reddit slash R slash podcast of champions discuss the podcast, the Pac-12, all the football stuff, George Klyavkov with other POC listeners. And then if you have the Apple Podcasting app, follow and rate us with five stars. You can rate us on Spotify and stuff too, but we're going to kind of push the Apple stuff. Have we got any new reviews or anything? Have you looked? That's a great question, Ryan. I'm going to look right now. You can look. Uh, But do appreciate you interacting 
with the show. We don't have a ton of questions. We today. don't. We have no new reviews. So we need to get some. People new have reviews. been slacking. Hmm. So I get on that review. Review the show. Uh, this will be a tighter show this week. Not a ton of newsy stuff going on. Um, but I think you know two programs that they're you know we're going to discuss USC and UCLA. Some weird stuff going on there. We want to talk about, of course, Cal and Stanford. We're going to get into that with uh, Jackson Moore. But there's uh, it's just kind of a slow time right now. We had National Signing Day, and now it's sort of like some stability. We got to figure out what we're going to do with shows going forward. But I thought this was good to do some little off-season reports to get people up to you know up to date on what's going on with their favorite program. The problem is we've shot our wad. Um, and now are we really going to interview people again before spring ball or after spring ball? Probably not, because we don't like having experts on the show. We like to pontificate stupidly. Um, True. So this is the people one People that like it. They like listening. Ah, they do. Learning stuff. And we don't want to give them what they want. We want to <laughs> give them what we want to do, which is l- low effort, low quality. We got to talk some Mandalorian, you know, or like Boba Fett. We'll mm-hmm. talk. I got it. What's the Encanto? Do I still have to Encanto. watch that? Encanto. I have to watch that. I've uh, been watching 1883, which is like the Oregon Trail video game. I told David mm-hmm. before the show. Uh, I did like um, Yellowstone, so this is like you know one of the like the ancestors or whatever of the guy in Yellowstone is on the show. I think it's like a baby or whatever, or he's the main character too. But um, it's definitely like just people dying in all different ways, which is is like it's so weird. Like people complain about oh I got a hangnail or whatever, and like. People were just dying. Like you could die of dysentery. You could. Die. There's so many ways you could just die out the prairie in the old west. Insights. Is there a lot of insights? Like just it was way easier to die. Like way. Easier. Totally. Totally. Yeah. And when you uh, when you, uh, fundamentally the the dying when you're a baby is the real hardcore thing because like when people so I'm gonna take everyone behind the curtain of something else. People always talk about like life expectancy was shorter, right? Way back when, before modern medicine. And they don't really understand why. Because the thing is, like, when people say that, they don't really understand why. Because the thing is, a human being, they lived about as long then as they do now if they're left to their own devices. (laughs) But really, what it fundamentally was, so many fucking babies dying. Like, just dying in childbirth all the time. And that's going to naturally reduce uh, life expectancy. But if you made it past two... You had a pretty good chance of making it to 60. Um, but it's just uh, modern medicine. What it fixed? Childbirth. Yeah, that, that definitely helped um, when you don't have the the, the babies and stuff dying and the, or the mothers dying from, you know, delivering a child. But this, you know, and if you were living in Boston or something, you're probably not, you know, you're probably not getting shot in 1883 that I, often. I would I would argue like random person living in Boston has probably a better chance of living to a ripe old age, like if they make it to 15 or 20, than random person living in Boston right now. <laughs> you could probably argue because that. you know what's not zooming down the streets every day of your life with just random death mobiles every time you cross the street? Cars. True. And it's and now they make them silent and accelerate faster. It's crazy. And if you just if you've ever driven in Boston, it's literally like those cow trails from the, Oh my god. Like, yeah. They just paved them over and like they don't go anywhere. There's roads right. that don't go anywhere. It's pretty bad. But just watching that show and you're just like, oh, they all these these guys are getting sick because they didn't boil their water. Like just stuff that was just like, yeah, you if you don't do everything right, like in a in a regular day, you could die. You know, it's like, well, like it's it's it was the uh, it was the eighteen hundreds equivalent of like going to the moon. Like, <laughs> you know, it's like yeah. ah, 
Uh, we're going out there, and uh, we're going to have to figure out our own food. We're going to have to figure out our own water. We're going to have to figure out our own shelter. We're going to have to figure all this stuff out on the fly. And we're, you know, we're dumb hicks in 1880. We're not, uh, you know, NASA scientists calculating all of this, and we don't really know what we're going into. Yeah, we have a group of, like, 50 people. We have to cross the river. They'll be 45 by the time we're done. Like, literally, that's, like, that's that's yeah. what happened. We're like, holy cow, like, this stuff is crazy. Uh, well, we got a little... Since we don't have any Pac-12 news to talk about, we got to talk about yeah. nonsense, uh, which we do so well. Um, but we're going to start off with the Bay Area schools. So we have a very special guest for you we'll bring on right now. All right. On the line, we have my buddy, my pal, Jackson Moore. Does a great job. I think he publishes about 20 sites on the 24-7 Sports Network now. But more importantly, he does the bootleg.com, which is covering Stanford. Been doing that for quite a while. And bearterritory.net, handling both of those. Jackson Moore, we originally met uh, covering the – he does the Bark Board, Fresno State site, which I used to run for a while, and Jackson took it over. But um, Jackson, uh, welcome to the program. How you doing, man? I'm doing well. How are you guys doing? Thanks for having me. Can't complain. Excited to talk about Stanford in California. For sure. This is the our California day. We did the the mountain and uh, at, uh, desert schools. We did the Pacific Northwest. Now we're doing uh, the California schools. Which other site, real quick, Jackson, which other sites do you, uh, you do? Fresno State, Cal, Stanford. What else you got? I've also got uh, San Jose State, so I got all the Bay Area programs, and I've got uh, Hawaii as well, which has been quite uh, the interesting off season for them. <laughs> oh my God. Yes. Why? That was a crazy one. I was, I was over there. I mean, literally I was at the Polynesian bowl and like June Jones is just walking around talking to people about like, yeah, I take the Hawaii job. But and then the story comes out where like, they said like, Oh, you can have it, but you can only do it for like a year and a half. And here's who you have to hire. It's just like the weirdest stuff. And they don't have a stadium. Um, it's so weird what was going on over there. Yeah, it is bizarre and nothing like I've seen anywhere across the country. You had the state Senate basically try to push Graham out the door and call for the heads of the <laughs> athletic director and the school president. I mean, it's crazy. And yeah, the fact that they don't have a, a stadium on top of that, but uh, head coach Timmy Chang, I mean, uh, it might end up being a, a good ending to all that craziness they just had. Yeah, the the amount of um, of, of caring about Hawaii, is it seems so insane given the lack of resources devoted to that program. Like so many people really, really caring about that program and how it's run and everything. And then and nobody can even invest money at all to like build a stadium or do anything. Yeah. Yeah. And I would add, there's a lot of passionate fans, but the crowds haven't been very big the past no. few years. Yeah. I mean, nobody goes to the game. Yeah. Even when Nick Rolovich had things going pretty good, I went out there for the Hawaii Fresno state game. I was all excited to see a big atmosphere and, it was uh, it was kind of empty. It was disappointing to see, but I think there is still a, a good portion of that fan base that's real passionate. And their stadium right now, the temporary one, only holds uh, nine thousand seats for the moment. So if they can't fill that up, uh, they got problems. Wow, that but I mean to be fair, like the Aloha, like that bowl, that that uh, stadium was an absolute disaster. Like it was such a dump. It just needed. It'd be awesome if they could build something cool get the pro bowl and stuff over there again. Like that would be awesome. But yeah, it was, it needed to go. The fact that it was condemned, I'm not surprised. <laughs> yeah. And they're, they're working, they're, the state's working on putting together a, 
a replacement there, something maybe about 35,000 seats and real nice, more uh, more modern and less about the capacity. But, um, I mean, with the, the way things are going over there and all the chaos and the fighting, <laughs> it seems like it's uh, – uh, you never know what year that thing's actually going to get built. So they're, they're focusing on that on-campus stadium, which is basically their practice field with stands. And uh, hopefully in the near future they, they get things going because – uh, as we saw in the 2000s, they have the ability to pro- produce success if the right pieces are in place and, and people are behind the team. All right. Well, Jackson, that's all the time we have for today. So that's <laughs> on Cal and Stanford. I'm just kidding. Um, so we're gonna... <laughs> that, that's how you can tell how enthused we are to talk about Cal and Stanford. We just spent three questions on Hawaii. <laughs> because I was just over there. It's just kind of interesting. It is interesting. And they'll play some Pac-12 teams. Um, but let's start off uh, with a team didn't do so well last year. Stanford Cardinal. I'm going to ask the question for Ryan. Uh, where do you stand on Stanford having been butt this past year? <laughs> Man, uh, that was, I'll, I'll tell you. I, I got well. First, before I get any farther, I want to make sure I clarify uh, the site on 24/7 is now called Cardinal 24/7. I know it was the bootleg for quite some time. But, oh, I'm sorry about that. <laughs> so if you, you want to search it up, you gotta go Cardinal 247.com. My bad. Um, my bad. No, no problem. And so uh, I I went out there. This was my first season covering Stanford, and you know I've covered uh, Mountain West football for a long time, Cal for the past few seasons, and. You know, you just seen what Stanford has done over the last decade. I was excited to kind of get there and see some of that stuff in person, be a part of that coverage this year. And I got out there for fall camp, and I'm looking around, and and the linemen are bigger. I mean, even even with Cal, I, I don't want to down talk Cal at all, but the linemen are, are bigger than I've seen at any school I've covered, and you know, the skills position players are as you know, uh, peak performance. I mean, they look the, the team just looks like it belongs in the SEC, <laughs> the way that the, the eye test goes in practice. And then they put the type of performance they put out there this season. And you just felt like they had, I mean, I felt like you saw what they did early in the year. They started off three and two. They got the win at USC, which at the time felt like a big deal. And they just could not put it together from then on out. Of course, Tanner McKee going down was a big blow. And you know, it just feels like they've recruited uh, a big group of athletes that seemed like they should be able to play at a high level. but whether it was coaching or development or uh, it's hard to pinpoint one thing. Injuries were a big deal, but the team that played the last seven games was just not very competitive. And it was just sad to see because, you know, you've got coaches and a program that has much higher expectations. And that was about as bad as it's been uh, since the mid two thousands before Harbaugh ever got there. That that was a low point for sure. Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, three and nine on the season, obviously not great. I uh, got some flack early on. There were some big wins, you know, beat USC, beat beat uh, Oregon, but a um, lot of losses, a lot of not great losses there. And it's the the coaching stability is unlike any other program. And if I, I just have my little notes here, if I'm not mistaken, this is 11th season for David Shaw. Chavita Pritchard's been on staff for 12 years. This is fifth as the offensive coordinator. Lance Anderson's been the defensive coordinator for nine years. This will be a 16th. Uh, season on the staff, I send out little notes and uh, I'm like coaching changes. And usually everyone has at least a few. And you sent a little simple note, coaching changes, none. 
Um, three, well, I mean, when, when things are going so well, why would you change anything? <laughs> but that, like, there really hasn't been, right? Like, so Pritchard's still the OC, Anderson's still the DC. I mean, really no changes after a three and nine season? Yeah, I mean, as far as we know, the, the talks from Coach Shaw the last couple of weeks and after the season finale was that said they were going to have some difficult conversations kind of behind the scenes, maybe reassess what they've been doing. But as far as any actual changes, there hasn't been any personnel changes that I'm aware of. No coaches have left and then have come in. And uh, he hasn't revealed any internal changes, whether coaches were going to have more or less responsibility. At least none of that has been um, been revealed at least to the media or the public so far so i mean especially yeah you would think after last season and it's not just last season i mean uh, the last couple of years haven't been great like the covid year was their best run out of the last three seasons and i mean that was only a i mean half a season but uh yeah there's no no notable changes that we're aware of yet maybe in the spring they'll reveal some things but should be the same 10 guys uh, behind coach shaw the the kind of nutty thing is even with all of the um uh w- wherever you stand on it whether it was full butt whether it was a half moon whether it was just a little <laughs> peak of the ass crack um however you want to describe uh, Stanford's season in terms of uh, butt metaphors it wasn't good and yet uh they finished with the 17th uh, best recruiting class at least in the recruiting rankings and even if you count transfers which um you know for Stanford they're not as huge in the transfer market still 27th nationally um how do you explain that? Like, what, what, uh, how, how is anybody signing on for this right now? <laughs> yeah. Um, they did have one thing going for them was that, as mentioned, the COVID season, it felt like they bounced back. Uh, you know, now, when you put it in perspective of one okay season out of three years, it doesn't look great. But it looked like kind of 2019 was an anomaly. They were getting back on track. And uh, the big thing they did was uh, readjust some of their recruiting strategies, their program that, typically would only just host one big official visit weekend in January. You had to be something special to get in on an official visit before then. Uh, This year they broke the mold. They had their official visits like everyone else in June, tried to keep up with everyone else. And, you know, really they just hit a very high volume of those top prospects. I mean, if we're talking back in May or June, if I'm doing like the class calculator or like a mock class, best case scenario, just about every one of those four-star guys you felt like they had a chance they ended up getting. Really, the only one they lost was Kamari Ramsey, who was committed for a while, ended up flipping to UCLA. Uh, they were you know, in the top three or five for a couple of guys, but ended up going to schools you kind of assumed they would end up at. But the guys that they had a realistic chance, those four-star recruits, and I mean, they hit on just about all of them, and then they made a few surprises as well. Getting David Bailey was a big one, and it just goes to show that the Stanford opportunity, the academic opportunity and uh, what they're selling the program on and with its recent history is, is still resonating with recruits. And, um, you know, it, I think also just the fact that they're not involved with transfers, the fact that they're not involved with extra uh, extra eligibility players. I mean, it's really, really hard to get into grad school, even if you're on the team. So. Stanford was about the only school in the nation that went into this process knowing this is the amount of scholarships we have. We can fill these up. It's not going to be uh, chaos numbers-wise once the season ends with the portal. So uh, they were able to guarantee kind of the back end of the class in the way that a lot of schools uh, had to stay in flux too. So that, I think, accounted for the volume of the class. But you give credit to the assistants and the primary recruiters for landing the, the top guys. 
Yeah, and I think recruiting's actually been pretty good overall, even the last few years. For Stanford, having a 17th national class, first in the Pac-12, uh, is great. And when you you know consider the transfers, it doesn't get helped by the drop down to number four. But that doesn't take into consideration players that have left the program. And that's also been a common theme where it seems like recruiting compared to where the team is has done better. But for the stability and the coaching staff and for a guy like, you know, it's, it's like David Shaw that's just, you know, well respected, a lot of players seem to be leaving the program through the transfer portal. I, I mean, if you've seen that and what, what do you think the cause of that is? Well, I think the biggest area you see it is in the graduate students where they, from my understanding, it's very tough to get into Stanford grad school. And so if you're a fifth year senior, I mean, it's tough to stay on under normal circumstances. Now you've got with the COVID year, a lot of guys that have a sixth year of eligibility I mean, Stanford kind of went into it just expecting these guys not to be back, I think. And they had like 29 players that were varying levels of seniors and only a couple that didn't have any years of eligibility back. And out of that whole group, I think only four or five are going to be returning to the roster with extra eligibility. So you have a lot of guys that kind of had no choice other than to hit the portal as grad transfers. As far as kind of the, the players you expected to come back, uh, really, Austin Jones and Nate Pete, both concerningly out of the running backs room, uh, that was uh, probably their biggest loss. Whereas all the other departures, while it's very unusual for most schools, was kind of expected numbers wise for Stanford. And that's going to be, uh, I mean, I think that plays into some of the struggles as well. I mean, every other school in the country, you're looking at fifth and sixth year guys, older players, all that extra development. And basically at Stanford, you don't really redshirt. You don't really stay on as a fifth-year guy uh, unless it's a special circumstance. And uh, when you're having more older players than ever on other schools and you're staying the same, it's going to be tough. Yeah, I didn't even think about that. That's crazy, yeah. Yeah, it is pretty nuts. Um, so looking at um, you know who's coming back, I mean, obviously this is a Tanner McKee show, um, but just kind of who are your picks for guys who are going to make an impact this year? Yeah, the the one good thing is that I think we've, I mean, everyone that was a key player at the skills positions outside of the running back room is going to be back. And this was basically a team that didn't run the ball very well. It was basically McKee throwing two as tall receivers, and the majority of those guys are going to be back. We saw Elijah Higgins, who was kind of a tight end hybrid coming in as been more of a receiver as of late, and the true tight end, Ben Urasek, who was just a sophomore last season. Uh, those two guys really took over as the targets. I mean, it was real simple. It just kind of, you got the six foot five quarterback throwing the six foot five receivers on one on one coverages and throwing it up. I mean, end zone fades and jump balls and over the middle where you're catching over smaller DBs. That was just a lot of what they did. And they've got the pieces to keep doing that. Um, so I look for those three guys to really be the faces. And uh, you hope at the running back position they can find an answer and get that running game going and be more of the Stanford program they're used to being known as. And I would look for EJ Smith to be that guy. Um, I think even if Austin Jones and Nate Pete were back, that Smith was going to have a larger role this season. He is the son of Emmett Smith, and uh, he has kind of lived up to that when given the opportunity. Just been injured quite a bit, especially last season. So. Looking for him to be probably the go-to running back. Uh, Casey Pilkins is another back that you can put out in the slot and do a lot of interesting things with. So uh, I think probably those two guys step up in the running back. And those should be the faces of your offense. They've got a lot of big, tall, long offensive linemen that uh, weren't too great in run blocking or 
pass protection really as a team. So we'll see if that unit can get going and if someone emerges as a pro prospect. All right. That's the uh, Stanford Cardinal offseason report. Uh, Got to do better than three wins, David. I mean, if, if David Shaw doesn't make a bowl game in the next five, six years, they might think about firing him, you know? Yeah, maybe. Maybe in the next decade or so. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, we'll see what happens. See if Stanford's able to bounce back. Hopefully that uh, number one recruiting class in the Pac-12 helps. Next, we got to talk about California Golden Bears. <laughs> We're going to welcome in Jackson Moore, who covers the California Gold Bears. <laughs> uh, it is BearTerritory.net still, right? Is that? Yes. That, okay. <laughs> like, yeah, just to make sure. Uh, Justin Wilcox in his sixth season uh, at Cal. There was, you know, some offseason rumblings there. Maybe Oregon was coming calling. Maybe he floated his name to, like, three different reporters to push him for, like, three different jobs. Maybe. I don't know if he did because he stayed. Like, I mean, it sounded like Oregon was really it. Like. Oh, sorry, uh, Jackson. Uh, congratulate uh, Ryan's parents as he was born yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. Any any thoughts on the off season with uh, with Wilcox? It looks like Musgrave and Peter Sermon are both back as coordinators. They're their third seasons each. But uh, thoughts on that off season for Wilcox? Yeah, this is a, a strange one because I mean, uh, some reports were saying maybe even declined or at least turned down some opportunities that may have come from Oregon or elsewhere. And uh, they got assigned him to an extension. I mean, you've got a coach that's coming off of back-to-back losing season, signing an extension. And uh, I mean, <laughs> up until a couple of wins at the end of last year, it didn't sound like these were the talks that were going to happen uh, no. with a really rough start. Um, at the same time, now you're talking about a Cal coach that's going into his uh, sixth year. And um uh, an off season that is not reflective of a, a team that should have that kind of stability. I mean, they lost feels like everyone. <laughs> I mean, you, <laughs> you, you come off of a, a losing season and you have your starting quarterback, Chase Garbers declines his extra year, goes to the draft. Uh, Kwani Dang, your star defensive player, a linebacker who missed most of last year, thought you might get him back for his extra season since he missed so much time. He opts to leave Chris Brooks, your starting running back hits the portal Nico Remigio, a team captain, star receiver, leaves Cal for Fresno State. Uh, you've got an offensive lineman, McCade Mature, who's heading to Oklahoma. I mean, Cameron Good's been a playmaker, and Elijah Hicks on defense. Both of those guys just out of eligibility. And I mean, this was a team in 2019. You felt like they were in a really good spot. They were building. They were. They had a lot of legitimate talent, and they lost some of those guys to the draft. And like they took a step back and now you feel like you've lost pretty much everyone else that was a part of that core and that didn't really go out in a very good fashion either so this is a a cal team that is going over through a a lot of turnover and is a very young team they've they didn't recruit very well in 2022 but they did very well in 2020 and 2021 and that core is going to start coming together here it's basically a young rebuild i think going into the season based off of what happened um which is just kind of an odd spot to be in when you've got a, a returning coach with an extension compared to a lot of the other turnover going around so when you were listing off those players who are leaving i will um put all cards on the table for all the listeners out here that was the entire list of the players on cal's team that i know um <laughs> so so talk to us about like who are some guys that we should know Heading into this year, because you're talking about a young core that's going to develop a little bit. 
um, or including transfers. But who who's going to step into these roles? Who's going to step in for Chase Garbers? Who's going to step in for Chris Books, Remigio, um, Kwani Dang, who's been there for a while now, Elijah Hicks? Who 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 are going to be the guys stepping in for these dudes? Yeah, um, I think we started to see it on defense last year. Uh, I mean, especially at the beginning of the year, it wasn't the same Justin Wilcox defense we're used to seeing. Uh, they started to turn the corner a little bit in the back half of the season, and we started to see some names pop up. But, you know, the star power is just frankly not quite there yet. Um, I think Mo Iosefa was an inside linebacker who was real young, really impressed right off the bat for Cal and looks very promising, probably going to be one of your – it's probably that next inside linebacker that's going to rack up the huge stats that uh, someone inevitably gets from that defensive scheme. Uh, Daniel Scott at safety is a returning – uh, top tackler from last year's team as well. I mean, that's about as good, <laughs> good as it gets as far as any recognizable names. You're just talking about a lot of young guys, a lot of defensive linemen that were kind of in and out of the rotation last year. If they can get Brett Johnson back, who unfortunately was involved in that car accident before the 2021 season, uh, they're hopeful that he's going to be back. He's probably going to be the biggest name if he can both be healthy and be the same player he was before all that. Uh, but on offense, they did go out and get a transfer quarterback, Jack Plummer, from Purdue. He started some games there. Uh, it's probably going to be their best option. They don't have much experience on the roster at quarterback. Uh, Ryan Glover was a grad transfer who went to Western Carolina and Penn, ended up at Cal, and he's got one more year. He only played in one game, and it was rough. Granted that most of the offense was out with COVID, so it wasn't just him, but would assume Plummer's going to be the guy. Other than that, they've got a lot of young quarterbacks um at running back they've had chris brooks and uh, uh chris street or excuse me damian moore and chris street the two of them have been pretty promising backs and actually took a lot of the load from brooks the last two years uh, i imagine those two guys especially damian moore are, are going to be um you know they're not names that have emerged outside of berkeley but uh, they're going to be more than ready to handle the running backs uh, unit and then that wide receiver is where they've really loaded up on recruits. They had a recent class that had like five guys, two of them being four stars, and uh, they've really loaded up on young, talented receivers. I think that's really going to emerge this season where they've lost most of the guys that contributed last season. I, I named Jeremiah Hunter as probably the lead guy. He's been the one out of the many that has um, impressed the most so far and has established himself probably as the top guy. Uh, J. Michael Sturdivant was uh, one of the big-time recruits they got uh, in the 2021 class that uh, he, he should probably get a shot. And they've added a lot of tight end talent, too, but they're just one of those teams that's going to have a lot of tight ends play and probably not one guy that puts up many stats. The uh, recruiting, as far as, you know, we talk about Stanford doing a really good job this cycle. Pretty middle of the road uh, for Cal, 60th nationally, 8th in the Pac-12. And if you include the transfers, that bumps up to 54th nationally and 7th in the Pac-12. What what did you see on the recruiting trail? Was there things that could have got better? Is that what what, what what's your assessment of Cal's recruiting for 2022? Yeah, you know they they had a lot of momentum with the 20 and the 21 classes. They picked up a lot more four stars than they had been getting uh, the previous classes, and it seemed like they're on that route again. They had Justin Martin committed. Uh, of course, now headed to uh, UCLA, where that was felt like a big deal. They had Jaden Ott, who committed, uh, the running back, decommitted, and then recommitted at, on signing day. So at least they were able to salvage one of their four-star guys. But 
Um, you know, they had some decommits throughout the cycle, especially as they got off to the rough start. And it just felt like it was a, a class that didn't quite reach its potential during the summer and, and then continued to sputter. Uh, they do have a lot of th- high-end three-star guys that have some offers, a uh, list of offers that would feel more of the four-star variety. But um, ultimately, this is kind of a step back from where they were the past couple of years. And um, you know, the, the, again, I think that 2020 and 21 class, that's a core they can build on going forward. But this class is... Uh, <laughs> They don't have the depth. They don't have the top-end talent that those classes did. And we'll see if uh, they can use get enough from this group to to keep that momentum going forward with the young guys. Um, what's your assessment of, like, I don't know, the mood and temperature of the fan base with Justin Wilcox, um, given, I mean, just kind of, uh, it's not bad, but just given the, I don't know, pronounced mediocrity of Cal um, of late and then, you know, because I can remember back in the mid 2000s when Jeff Tedford was, had it really rolling. Cal had an actual fan base. Um, are those people still there? And are they how are they feeling about this? Yeah, you know, when the losses came early, some of those games were pretty empty um, after the rough start, and it just felt like there was a lot of disinterest really. And then they started to get some wins late in the, the back half of the year, and people got a little more interested and a little more optimistic again, and then all this stuff happened with uh, the off season, and you know, I, there was a point there, especially with the COVID issues that uh, that's been tougher at Berkeley than other schools. It felt like Wilcox and the administration, or at least the university, were really clashing, and it just felt like between that and the uh, losing season that wasn't going to last much longer. And now all of a sudden, everyone seems to be committed for the long haul. And, you know, I think there's um, an understanding that Wilcox brings stability to the program, and gives them a chance, but you're still kind of waiting to see that, that big season to come out of it. And the, the patients seem to be getting thin up until the off season. And I think it's going to, it's going to be a bit of a disgruntlement as well in the next couple of seasons, I believe just with a young roster, uh, they're not quite built to win right now. I don't think, but by 2023, perhaps they might have a roster that can be a contender and um, perhaps That'll be the thing that really rallies the fan base. But uh, until then, uh, I think it's still kind of wait and see. Well, last thing for you, Jackson. Uh, last year, I think a lot of people regarded Cal's schedule as the easiest. I think I think the beta rank people had it ranked the easiest. Uh, what TCU, uh, Sac State, and Nevada, but you know, end up losing to Nevada and uh, TCU in that one. And also in the South, besides USC and UCLA, you got uh, Cal got uh, Arizona and Colorado. So that's usually an easier draw. This year, UC Davis and UNLV, I mean, two teams, certainly winnable games, but then a road game at Notre Dame. I mean, that'll be a little tougher, probably similar to the TCU game. But again, Arizona and Colorado on the schedule. Um, now, Arizona is probably going to be a little bit better. Uh, it seems like the schedule's still fairly favorable. Really close to, I mean, that COVID game against Arizona, that doesn't happen. Cal's probably going to a bowl game. Is I know there's a lot of losses, but can this be a, a bowl team for Cal? You know, it, it sure could be. I mean, you, you mentioned it. Uh, you look at the schedule, they open up with UC Davis and UNLV. I mean, they've got to be 2-0 after those. Uh, they're going to lose at Notre Dame, most likely. And then you get the Arizona game. Uh, hopefully they'll have everything in order to uh, get that win and get some revenge from that one. I mean, if you start 3-1, and one, I mean, you're halfway there. And I think this is a team that should be a lot better, uh, again, much like last season in the back half than the first half, breaking in a new quarterback and a lot of other players across the board that are going to have to fill in, especially on offense. 
uh, this should be a team that is much better at the end than the beginning. And so if they can get those wins early and then put enough of a fight together to get some wins late October and then into November, I mean, the six wins is certainly attainable. Um, they're just fortunate the schedule is the way that it is. And, you know, even last year, it's hard to compare it too much now with all the turnover in the roster, more so than anticipated. But that Nevada game, they had it. They let it go. The TCU game, they barely lost by two. They go to Washington, they barely lose. I mean, they had a whole bunch of heartbreakers that uh, they could have, if they could have gotten over the hump last year, would have been a much different story. But it didn't, and now they're younger and more inexperienced. <laughs> it's going to make this season a challenging one for them. All right, well, Jackson, appreciate the uh, the time and insight there on all the uh, Cal and Stanford stuff and a little Hawaii. Uh, but thanks again for coming on. <laughs> uh, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. All right, great stuff from our buddy Jackson Moore. Um, we got to cover a couple of LA teams, and someone tweeted us. Did you see that? Like, I hope they get some good experts. <laughs> Not those usual assholes. Because I, I tweeted, um, we're gonna be recording a new episode later this afternoon. Someone just responds, "Okay." Like, all right, thanks, thanks, appreciate that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Yet another Duck fan says, is Stanford's offseason report just whoopee cushion Moses for six minutes? <laughs> sort of, yes. <laughs> and then uh, Dustiny21 says, if Ryan brings a proctologist in to talk about Stanford, I will curse the USC training room for three generations. <laughs> we did not. We didn't do that. And then Webfoot, who are the guys getting for the USC and UCLA experts? Someone good, I hope. <laughs> So, uh, sorry, Webfoot. Great group of listeners. <laughs> that was good. Sorry, Webfoot. Um, do you want to start? You want to be a start? I, I, I mean, do I want to talk about UCLA football? Okay, we'll save you for last. We'll start first with USC Trojans. So, Ryan. Uh, I'm Ryan Abraham. I uh, cover USC for uscfootball.com. Yeah. So, Ryan, mm. uh, USC, not a, not much happening this offseason. Mm-mm. Um, setting up for uh, what is it now? The ninth year of Clay Helton, eighth year. Clay's uh no, Clay, Clay's moved on. He took a he took a job somewhere else. Wait, what? Georgia Southern. He's uh, coaching down there. Wow. So, uh, did, and he did that of his own accord. Lateral move, I believe. Yeah. Wow. One of those things. Wow. Um, okay. All right. So did he get to name his successor? <laughs> he did not. It wasn't Neil Calloway or Clancy Pendergast. <laughs> Or, what about his brother? What about his stupid brother? Tyson? Head, Tyson head, Helton? To be fair, he's doing pretty good. He's head coach at, what was it, Western Kentucky? Yeah. He's actually doing all right. Yeah, why isn't his stupid brother in charge? Shouldn't he have been named the successor? I like his brother. Um, I like Tyson. Yeah, no. This is, uh, Clay was fired after the Stanford Wait, game. Wait, what? Yes, after the Stanford game, way back in September. So there's a coaching change for you. Okay, all right. So, so they went um, three months so without USC, anybody. USC, what'd they end up with? Jeff Fisher? Jack Del Rio. Yeah. So Dante Williams was, uh, you know, took takes over. Okay, so he, he's he's the new guy? He's they the did, head coach Well, now? there was talk. He beat Washington State in his first game. So there was talk about him winning a national championship potentially. Sure, sure, sure. And being did the he? permanent. No, he did not. Uh, okay. USC ended up 4-8. and eight, So not. But was it a good 4-8? and eight? No, it was bad. <laughs> they gave up like 60-something points to UCLA, which We'll talk about them in a little bit. That certainly helped USC in the long term, but didn't didn't in the short term did not help. Uh, yeah, they were bad. They were they were poo. Uh, like Cal, we we you know we just talked about a little bit. They lost to Arizona, who only beat one team and somehow beat USC pretty badly. Yeah, it was a uh, not not a good season. Okay, all right. So all right. So I'm thinking they went out and you know hired 
what are we doing again? Are we doing Lane Kiffin again? What 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 happened? Yeah, so <laughs> they call him LFR, like Lincoln freaking Riley. Uh, you uh-huh. know, he was running the Oklahoma program pretty much into the ground with like Heisman's and playoff appearances and stuff. And well, yeah, the the weight of those expectations can drag a program down. Right. And um, he's now the head coach at USC, which kind of crazy. They actually, so he must be in his what mid to late sixties <laughs> retirement job. He like, wants to go to LA. He's like eighteen. No, he's <laughs> what is he? Is he like thirty five? He's like thirty seven or something. It's ridiculous. Um, yeah. This is how I cope by just annoying the shit out of USC fans who want to hear all the great things. Um, all right, so Lincoln Riley. Um, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. I was uh, whelmed. At that time, right by the recruiting, and called out by listeners. I am, I am, I am now uh, very much overwhelmed um, with uh, now Caleb Williams on top of everyone else. Um, I don't know what's 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 your sense of the roster right now, given everything they've gotten in the transfer portal. Um, what are the holes that still need to be filled for this to be, and are there holes that still need to be filled for this to be a legitimate Pac-12 contender in? this coming year. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think he's turned around the roster faster than we thought possible. He pretty much got rid of anyone that was in the 2022 recruiting class. They kept a couple guys and then they went out and signed, you know, they got Damani Jackson back, the five-star corner, like Rayleigh Brown that, you know, guys that were committed to Oklahoma. He got a couple guys to flip, but only signed eight high school players. Uh, but they brought in 13 guys for the transfer portal They've lost 33 players off the roster from last year. So that's a that's a chunk, you know, and there's probably still more to come. Uh, 18 players that went into the transfer portal, including some young stars like Jackson Dart and uh, um, uh, Michael Trigg going to Ole Miss. Uh, so and some some players on defense uh, that they you know there were there were good contributors last year. You know, like Drake Jackson, Drake London, guys like that going to the NFL draft. So there's definitely some guys that were lost. Uh, but the, the transfer portal has really made it. This is going to be a faster turnaround than I anticipated, at least the way they've started. Um, they're still about 80 scholarship players right now. Lincoln Riley does want to bring in more. I mean, the highlight is, uh, you know, Caleb Williams coming in. And, you know, it looks like a month-long saga. He announced right before signing that. We don't even remember if we mentioned it last week on the show. But, dude, we wake up this morning. It's, we're recording this on Wednesday. USC's quarterback is on Good Morning America, not like Good Morning Football on NFL Network. This is he's on Good Morning America. This is so fucking obnoxious. It's it's crazy. Like I'm just looking at his face talking about this too, and it's so obnoxious. It's it's insane. Uh, you know, beginning like Travis Die out of uh, out of Oregon. Oh, you mean picking literally every Pac-12 transfer that they wanted <laughs> from other teams, like even plucking them from good contenders like Oregon. Yeah, yeah. it's insane. Yeah. It's it's stupid. It's not fair, and I don't like it. <laughs> So I think imagine it's just take your mind back for a second and imagine yeah. Pete Carroll with the fucking transfer portal. Ooh, that could be, you know, imagine that 20 years ago. Yeah. Well, and I mean, to be fair, like the Pac-12 was, I mean, who was the best quarterback in the Pac-12 last year? Like there's just not been Oregon had that little run and, you know, Utah was great at the end of the year, but there's not been USC left the power vacuum, you know, and I don't know if anyone's the void there is anyone filled it thoroughly you know there should be multiple teams that were good they're not and that's the way he the way he's built the roster right now i think they could compete for the pac-12 already but they're going to do some more changes i think after spring football uh the defense was really bad last year 
I like what Alex Grinch has done at places like Washington State, Oregon, I mean, uh, at Ohio State and stuff. We'll see if he can kind of build it into, but they're going to score a bunch of points. Um, Caleb Williams is, they're going to be fun to watch at least again. Uh, Utah is probably still going to be the class of the conference, but if who knows? I mean, if they add more pieces than what they've added right now, I think they can certainly, even the way they're built right now, they can compete, but they got to play Utah at Utah next year. So I think that's going to be tough. Look, being legitimate, the, the floor for USC is basically, um, being honest to God. I think the floor is being Oklahoma, which is like a kind of soft when they have to play an sec team but otherwise they're going to just dominate the conference probably regularly and it it feels like that like it feels like that's probably what's coming um and the ceiling if they can actually recruit um some linemen with the national cachet that usc has being you know carol years again i i I think you know, there's an effort to undersell it. Um, I am leading that effort. I am pushing it very hard. <laughs> but when you step back for just a second and just realize what they just did, what it sets, what it portends for this coming year, because, yeah, there's some holes. Sure. There's also no other team in the league that can, I, I think Oregon's the closest. And I think once you add Caleb Williams to the mix, it's quarterback should be counted for like four different guys. Like it's it's the equivalent of getting like four cornerbacks. Um, it's just, you know, it's, it's, they're, they're the immediate favorite. I think if you look at the recruiting rankings with transfers, they're number one, in the PAC 12 and ninth nationally, you know, uh, they have the number one overall transfer class so far. And I think that's partly, um, the formula because this is the first year of factoring in the transfers. I don't think the formula is counting transfers enough from uh that perspective because usc's class is i mean it's 13 transfers to eight um high school players eight high school players um and a lot of those transfers are going to play immediately yes they're gonna have a lot of guys i would love to see something and maybe 24 7 can do this if you had like a whole bunch of guys transfer in but who transferred out like the losses like does it offset like the guys that have transferred in too i guess that's going to be the overall roster when you look at the um, composite the, the talent composite. I guess that'll co- you know take all that into consideration when players leave. Yeah, it, it absolutely should. Um, but yeah, I mean, you look at this and they've taken the uh, some of the best pieces from a variety of Pac-12 teams, thrown them onto the roster, and then added two of Oklahoma's best offensive players um, and Caleb Williams, Mario Williams. Like it's it's going to be stupid. Like it's not going to be it's not going to be enjoyable for eleven teams in the league. <laughs> Um, and the the hope is that it takes Lincoln Riley, you know, better part of a couple of seasons to install everything and get it all humming the way it should. But um, the transfer portal tends to, um, I don't know, smooth that stuff out because, well, instead of having to train up a quarterback on everything he wants, just bring in his quarterback who already knows everything he wants. I think that does help that he'll be there in spring football. Um, they got to get better up in the middle of the defense. Um you know, they bring in like a, a Shane Lee from Alabama, who was a freshman All-American in 2019, but hasn't contributed as much since, been banged up a little bit. You know, they, they needed some – the inside linebacker play has been bad. I just – you know, they their secondary was bad. They gave up a ton of big plays last year. Can they can Alex Grinch fix all that kind of stuff? I think that's going to take a little while for the defense to sort of gel. But they should score points. I mean, they, they really should. And, they you know, they – you know, Brendan Rice comes in, Terrell Bynum comes in, like Pac-12, three Pac – Three, well, two Pac-12 receiver transfers, and then Mario Williams from Oklahoma too. And you know they still got guys like Cal Ford on the the roster that was a five star. 
Um, so they, they, they were underperforming on offense for sure. Uh, I like their running back room a lot. You know, Austin Joe, you know, bringing Stanford, probably best guy or second best guy or whatever. And Stanford's best guy and Oregon's best guy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that helps, right? You know? Uh-huh. Yeah, it uh, helps. It helps. It helps when you just construct an, all, an all-star team of the uh, best <laughs> players from a variety of teams. I mean, Brendan Rice was the most exciting player on Colorado last year. You're going to argue, yeah. No, he was. I'm telling you, this is a fact. <laughs> and now he's, now he's at USC. So, yeah, I mean, I think the roster looks a lot better. Well, they're going to, I think, evaluate what's going to go on in the spring and probably have to fill in some holes. I don't think this is going to be some ready-made Pac-12 winning team right now but to go from four and eight to eight and four is i think really realistic shut up things go right shut up don't you think that's shut up no (laughs) this team is gonna go 11 and one no they're not yeah they are and if they don't it's a disappointment (laughs) okay well there you go i like that yeah nice um hmm. they go anything else for you didn't hire lincoln riley to go eight and four in year one well from four and eight that's a pretty big improvement (laughs) well part noise for you i mean Chip Kelly had a big improvement this year and gets I will, extension. I, I will leap across this table. <laughs> Don't think I will. Uh, we did get to meet all the assistant coaches. Um, oh, how was that? Like, that was cool. Like, I mean, it's good to get some. So wait, wait, wait. So you're telling me the head coach was hired two months ago? Yeah. And you already talked to all of the assistant coaches? Yeah. One of them wasn't available. He was sick, I think, or something. Interesting. But, yeah. Interesting. With Chip Kelly. Didn't Do you know how long it took uh, UCLA to make the assistant coaches available? How long? Uh, four years. <laughs> That's crazy. Do you know who was never available for a single availability? Defensive coordinator? Defensive coordinator Jerry Azanero. Who he, he retired without speaking to the media. He resigned. It still hasn't been announced by UCLA because um, I think he's trying to cash in on that sicky pension. But um, mm. yeah. Nice. Uh, but yeah, overall, that was cool. Now, Lincoln Riley's not been very media friendly, but he's been doing, he's taking advantage of the Super Bowl stuff that's in LA right now. He's been on Cowherd and Jim Rome and all these places. Uh, Obviously, Caleb Williams going on like he's going on a bunch of national stuff too, so they're trying to take advantage of the media blitz or whatever going on with the Super Bowl uh, in town. It'll be interesting to see if Lincoln Riley does open things up to the media. Can we watch practice? Because he was very—I mean, Caleb Williams never talked to the media when he was at Oklahoma. Now he's on Good Morning America. Like that's a pretty big difference. Um, I think he kind of understands that just being in LA, if you want to be relevant in a city that has you know LeBron James and. Uh, Matthew Stafford and Jalen Ramsey and, uh, you know, Kawhi Leonard and, you know, Clay Kershaw. Like, there's just stars, pro stars all over the city. If you don't make, you don't let the media come in and talk to you, they're just going to talk about somebody else that's here. You know, there's a lot of stuff going on. So I think he's going to be a little bit more open to the media than he was at Oklahoma. But I mean, I'm hopeful just because it's. It helps me. It helps my job. Well, let me tell you what has happened with UCLA being secretive. Uh, There is one newspaper that covers it like one non-Daily Bruin newspaper that covers it, and then there are like two team sites, and that's it. Yeah, I mean, that's... That's the daily coverage. That's not what you want, right? No. You no. want, especially when you're going to have... if When you are in... If you're in a college town, you're the only game in town, like, you can do whatever you want. They're going to, like, figure out a way to cover you. If you're in L.A., yeah, you're not going to get that kind of coverage, so... Correct. Um, I don't think it works that well, especially with NIL, that mm-hmm. players want... You know, Caleb Williams announced all these like NIL. You know, he's beat, you know, Beats headphones. He's like a spokesperson for that. Um, a bunch of other deals he's announced on like social media and stuff. If your coach doesn't let you talk and you can't get out in front of the media and and reach your fans and reach the public, that help that hurts your own personal brand. Like if 
if we don't know enough about DTR, he could be on, you know, getting all these deals and stuff. And if you're not allowed to talk that often, uh, I think a coach can really hurt with name, image, and likeness deals for your players. Sure. Do you agree with that or no? Yeah, I think that's definitely true. Right. Is there anything else you want to know? I know. Uh, I mean, I, I feel like I'm doing a disservice to USC, but I can't continue to talk about USC. That's okay. That's fine. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it's really good. Things are going very well. Everyone should be very excited who's a USC fan, and everyone who's not a USC fan should be feeling even more antipathy towards the program that they always do. And I love, you know, I will still, you know, we'll talk trash about USC and stuff. But just like personally, like we do this for you know when we're doing it for a living or whatever. When fans don't care, it's. It's not good for us. It's not good for our business. So, Less people listen. Here, here's the argument I make, which I think is totally valid, um, is that uh, because your bottom line is so tied, and people don't understand this, I don't think, fundamentally, but your bottom line is so tied to the success of the program. Yeah. Like, so tied. Like, I mean, the <laughs> not even getting into the numbers— Things are going very well for you because USC hired Lincoln Riley and he's yes. made such a huge impact. They you, haven't played a game yet. You then. are at a greater level than I think the salaried employees who are in charge of USC football invested in the program doing well. Like you need it to do well uh, because it's it's like it's tied to any growth in your money. A salaried guy is getting his money no matter what he does. He's got right, a buyout. Yeah. He's got the whole thing. You need the programs to do well. So. While you're not technically a fan, you, as a professional interest, are more interested in this program doing well than <laughs> virtually anybody involved in the enterprise itself. <laughs> that's true. That's and so, uh, and that's where I like kind of get into it with um, some of the fans on the UCLA board because they're like, "What's your agenda? What's your agenda?" And it's like, my agenda is that the programs are really good, and the reason I want them to be really good, yeah, I am much more of a fan than you are, but also it's much better for the money. Yes. It's much better for the money. Um, and so just, you know, just throwing that out there. Yeah. Uh, it's been, I've been, as far as like professionally happier than I've been in the last couple of months than probably seven years. Yeah. Like literally, like I'm just like, oh, I mean, because you're doing the same, like we take pride in our work. We try to do a good job. We cover recruiting events. Well, it's how you maintain when things are not, when you're in the Clay Helton eras. Um, it's, you got to continue to do the stuff because people will stick around. But getting new subscriptions requires excitement. Yeah, and it doesn't happen that way. And you, you might, you, know, you might fly somewhere and do a great story on some five star kid, and when you come home, there and the fans are like, "I don't care, Clay Hilton's still a coach." Now, if you do that story, like it gets a lot of views, and people are interested again. And that you know, if you do that, we're recording the show the same way we did before, but more USC people are going to be listening because they care now. And if I do the Parastyle podcast. Way more people are listening. We do our video right. shows. Like more people are watching. You're doing the same work, but now people are. There's more people invested in it, and there's more people signing up for subscriptions. And like you said, it's just you still have to do the work, but it's just nicer when it's it, it's received better by the fan base when the team is doing well. So well, yeah, and it's a testament to the quality of your stuff and the quality of Tracy's stuff that during. I mean, uh, uh, you've had uh, one of the worst decades of USC football of all time, and UCLA is. Well, it's doing what it does. And like the two sites still go strong because it's a good quality product. And so people who are there who are the diehards, who are the the, the hardcore, like hardcore. The, the the hardcore of the earth who have who have not been eroded away, they're still sticking around. And then you start getting new people when things get exciting. 
when they win games, when a new coach is hired, whatever it is, that's when you can start to, you know, indoctrinate new people. Um, but they don't stick around if the quality isn't good. And that's what, you know, uh, it, it goes both. But you don't want to be doing a great product and be doing a lot of good stuff and have nobody paying attention or giving a crap about right. it because uh, the entire program is so depressing. Yeah, um, it's, it, That's out of your control. Like, right, right. Um, fan apathy is not like... The USC would get mad at me when we write negative things about them going five and seven and the them flight a plane over to fire Clay Helton and stuff. It's like it's not me. Like the fans are gonna say that, you know, I I would rather you guys be good, but you stink. And I'm not gonna say I'm gonna say you stink. And then I'm not creating, like, I'm not making the fans say you stink. Like they're saying it. Like I it would be much better for me, like you said, for the team to be good. So yeah, I, you know, I, it's not I'm not but, trying to tank but, the program. I'm just like, if they're stinking, I'm gonna tell you they stink. Exactly. Exactly, and they stunk. Yeah, well, and that's for a long time. Uh, but that's our. I think that's our, our our province is to be essentially the the no BS vendors. You know, um, when it's good, say it's good. When it's bad, say it's bad. And that's how you maintain your integrity with that hardcore group who are not leaving no matter what. And then when uh, things are good, people jump on who are uh, fair weather, and then you uh, suck them dry for a little while, and then things <laughs> go bad again. So definitely excitement around the USC program, but that's for off the field stuff. There's excitement around the UCLA program because of on the field stuff. Huge turnaround, first winning season, winning against out of conference teams. We got to talk about our last team in our off season recaps. We're talking about UCLA Bruins. I yeah, mean, I'll tell you, I momentum mean, through the signing roof. that extension. That was that. I think. Uh, Tracy was showing me the ticker. Um, it was just going off the hook. I think we signed three, four thousand new subscriptions wow. just overnight. I would yeah. think so. It was it was nuts. It was absolutely crazy. Um, Imagine if they locked them up for longer. Yeah, dude, we're gonna take a cruise um, <laughs> to the Mediterranean on a spaceship. Um, yeah, uh, UCLA extended Chip Kelly. Uh, I, I would say it was a. Um, understandable um choice that i disagree with um i think he i think it would have been they would have been better served firing him um and or letting him walk or any he went eight and four i will fight you he beat I, he put 62 or three points up on usc uh-huh i mean that's huge yeah it yeah. should have been eight year extension i know and that was that was uh the culmination team for clay helton so you know it was pretty good too yeah um, yeah, so uh, they extended Chip Kelly. Um, I don't think we have Dave's, the... Dave's hand is over his eyes as he says that. I, I don't think they've uh, <laughs> uh, thrown out the full contract terms yet. Um, but it's it's a... Uh, um, it was justifiable, um, and given UCLA's budget situation, maybe it was necessary, um, given that they're running like a $62 billion deficit or something. Um, I think I had the first letter wrong. I think it's a million, but it feels like billions. Um, so yeah, uh, Chip Kelly, uh, sticking around, uh, a lot of staff changes this off season. Uh, the defensive staff has gotten more or less completely overhauled. Uh, Arizona poached a couple of guys, uh, from, uh, UCLA staff, um, Johnny Nansen and Jason Kafusi. Um, and so UCLA went out and hired, um, I'm going to try not to mess it up. Malloy. I'm just going to say Malloy uh, from Washington as their outside linebackers coach. And Chad Kauha-a-ha-a. Yeah, I was always struggle with that one. Yeah. Uh, Chad. As, as the said uh, Chad or something. Chad. Chad. Uh, as the DL coach from, uh, he was from UNLV. 
Uh, old friend, uh, Tim Drevno, another offensive former, line coach. Another uh, former USC. Yeah, he's replacing Justin Fry, who's a big loss. Uh, Drevno, um, at one time, was a goodish offensive line coach. Uh, he, like many others, uh, maybe infected by the disease of Clay Elton. <laughs> Um, so he's, he's getting mentioned a lot by recruits already, which is probably a good sign. Cause oh, I know, good, yeah. I know one of the things that towards the end of his tenure at USC was that he really lost energy as a recruiter. So, um, that's probably a good sign. And then the one thing that we're all waiting on is first an official announcement of Jerry Azanero's resignation. Um, it's a open secret at this point, um, that he is resigning, uh, but it hasn't been officially announced by UCLA yet, and uh, then the defensive coordinator hire. The interesting part here— No offensive coordinator either, right? Because Fry yeah, was— But Chip Kelly—it was it was not nominal because Fry did some of the planning, but Chip Kelly's his own play caller. Okay, but the, neither coordinator are, like, announced right now. Yeah, and I don't know if he's going to hold on to offensive coordinator as a reward for somebody um, or how it'll work, but— um, for now, the main one is defensive coordinator. Um, the interesting part there is that um, they've hired defensive assistants without having a defensive coordinator in place. That seems which... smart, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, th- you don't want to – I think what in college football, like I haven't covered it that long, but typically colleges don't hire their coordinators till after the Super Bowl, right? <laughs> like is that the way it goes? Is that how this usually works? <laughs> Um, so it, it, it made a lot of people think that he was just going to promote, uh, another Clay Hilton friend, uh, Clancy Pendergast. It doesn't sound like that's going to happen. Uh, but it's hard He's to an analyst. Like this is an honest he, he, he was, um, he helped out in the bowl game as the defensive line coach. Okay, okay. Um, and then he's, I think he's just doing analyst work now. Um, so basically just waiting on the defensive coordinator. It is interesting. I think that limits your pool when you're not going to allow them to make staff changes, essentially. Um, so I'm interested to see what that'll look like. Because if you're going an NFL route, that might make sense. Because NFL guys are used to just kind of walking into a situation and just having to make it work. So maybe he's going to try to hire somebody who's an NFL assistant currently. Um and it'll be interesting to see what changes. I mean, they could always also promote internally, have Brian Norwood do it, who was the guy they hired from Navy a couple years back. Um, it's just the defense hasn't been good. They need to upgrade significantly there um, from a schematic and play-calling perspective. Um, and so that's obviously the main thing to watch because if you're making an argument about why Chip Kelly has failed thus far at UCLA, it does boil down largely to the defense. Yeah. Um so we'll see with the coordinator stuff. It is kind of weird. Like I, everyone was giving Mario Cristobal crap for taking a long time, but he ends up getting a couple of really good coordinators. Uh, got Kevin Steele and uh, who's the, the offensive coordinator is the guy from Michigan, Gaddis, like who was a Broyles yeah. Award winner and stuff. So he ends up, he's putting it together staff and stuff down there. I mean, and honestly though, like, do you feel like this is a thing where you could poach a good defensive coordinator from somewhere, or what, what is what is the thought process of getting a new DC for UCLA? I think uh, uh, the main thing is um, with the delay, um, there's no point in rushing at this point because you're not recruiting based off your defensive coordinator. Um, And I think um, I don't know how much was structurally wrong with UCLA's defense as much as it was play calling because, I mean, they're running the same kind of 4-2-5 that basically everyone is running these days. So it could be just something as simple as Chip Kelly – knows sort of what he wants and he just wants to find a guy at some point who can run that thing. And it might be as simple as promoting internally, but he's not in any rush to do so. Um, 
I really don't know. I mean, we're all trying to assign logic to this process that doesn't make a whole lot of sense because why would you hire all these assistants? Because first, it's not as if UCLA is a recruiting powerhouse. It's not as if they needed to hire top, top 60 class. I will fight you again. <laughs> I will jump across this table and I will fight you. I mean, the top that's top half. In the uh-huh. Um, FBS. But like, it's not as if you needed to hire all these low-level assistants this early. Like, You could have waited, had Clancy Pendergast get out there and recruit, and whoever your grad assistants are get out there and recruit. Clancy or do something. Pendergast doesn't recruit, by well, the way. I know. <laughs> I know. <laughs> um, but you could have, like, UCLA's done this in the past where they'll just get, like, a random person, hire them as a coach, like some guy who's, like, a you know, a youth football coach with one of these coaching changes. Right, right. You and just take in. two months of their time to like, hey, go get your kids and get them to come here or whatever. Like that, that's happened in the past. Um, but uh, so I don't know what the rush was. I think that is going to limit their options. And now I don't know, um, you know, this could wait until uh, they've got to do it before spring ball. So I think we're probably looking pretty quickly here. Like, I think it's got to happen in the next couple of weeks um, because they have to get some stuff installed and figured out before they, Head into spring and the under Chip Kelly, uh, spring balls almost always started in the first week of March. So oh, wow. they don't have a lot of time. Do you have to have a defensive coordinator for spring football? Like I will. That... <laughs> um, there, there's I, I I don't want to continue to threaten violence, but I will actually commit it. Um, yeah. So uh, not a great situation, but it is just continuing weirdness of uh, the Chip Kelly era at UCLA. Is there, so DTR coming back was big. Um, Dylan. You know, Dylan Gabriel coming in was going to be interesting, and then that sort of yeah, yeah. ended weird. Uh, you could put him on a top departure or two, like on the list. Uh, but D, I mean, but DTR's back, like so he's. I mean, you could argue the best quarterback in the Pac-12, or potentially that, right? So like, yeah, I mean, I think it's going to be interesting. I think uh, Caleb Williams obviously had a great year at Oklahoma, um, but Dorian Thompson Robinson. I mean, when you look at it, like, I think people bring a lot of baggage when they assess Dorian Thompson Robinson based on, like, what he was doing his first and second and third years where it was, you know, there were a lot of ups and downs. This past year, he was really good most of the year. Like, uh, I thought he, you know, was generally pretty sharp altogether. Um, So getting him back for yet another year, um, he's going to set a whole bunch of UCLA records if he's healthy for the entire year. Um, And uh, that's cool to see. Um, I think he's going to be a more polished product because he has been every single year he's been at UCLA. Um, So that's a huge addition. Um, There's uh, there's some key departures that, um, you know, I think getting getting Dorian Thompson Robinson back, getting Zach Charbonnet back, obviously huge. Um, but from a departure perspective, UCLA is losing its two starting offensive tackles and tackle is not really a position where UCLA has any depth whatsoever. Um, there's one guy who played last year and Garrett DeGiorgio. Otherwise it's probably a guard like John Gaines flipping over to tackle and he's not a tackle. Um, so that's going to be the tricky part. They still need to acquire some stuff in the transfer portal to feel good about next year. Um, and that's, you know, USC is talking about what do we need to get to contender status in the transfer portal, maybe heading into spring or out of spring ball. UCLA is like, what do we need to be basically as good as we were last year? Um, and that, at minimum, they probably need at least one tackle and maybe two um, in the transfer portal. And if you've been tracking the transfer portal, um, acquiring offensive tackles is not one. easy. No, that's a tough one. Uh, but the if you combine the uh, transfers, the 32nd, uh, class nationally fifth in the Pac-12, so certainly moves up there. And if you know after spring ball able to add some pieces, I think that's going to be helpful. I mean, Zach Charbonnet was a stud. I mean, I think the offense, the way it was looking late in the year, 
uh, you know, was your power running, you know, uh, DTR making plays. He wasn't screwing up like he would just have these weird screw ups a lot of times before. Yeah, I don't was, think he was doing much. Yeah, of it was that. none of the empty hand fumbles. Like, it right, was, yeah. uh, so much of that stuff had gotten, and he wasn't making just horrible mistakes. Like, so many plays of just the simple stuff that you don't really notice. It shows up in the box score as a huge loss, but ball gets snapped over your head, and instead of trying to do something stupid with it, just fall on it or pick it up and throw it out of bounds. Um, you know, it goes down as an incomplete pass rather than a 25 yard loss. Um, he was doing stuff like that finally. Um, so, uh, finally, like kind of those heady plays were coming. And if you look at his, I, I think his rushing, his, tr- his, uh, not true rushing numbers, but the sack adjusted rushing or not sack adjusted rushing numbers, the ones that include sacks, um, those tell a really good tale about his, uh, progress because those continue to go up. Because he's not taking devastating sacks anymore. Like, he's not doing that with the frequency that he once was. Um, and that's drastically improved his efficiency as an offensive player. Um, he's not perfect. I mean, there's a lot of things in his game where you're still going to be like, uh, not a whole lot of touch there and a variety of different things with just his, you know, decision making, various things. But he is far more of a positive than a negative now. Is Brian Norwood still on the staff? Yeah. So he was, wasn't he kind of a co? Defensive coordinator? Could... Sort of. Yeah, that's what I was talking about earlier. Okay. Um, when you weren't paying attention to what I was saying. Right, I was um, checking text Yeah, yeah, you were doing something else. Um, yeah, no, he he could. Um, that's another option. Okay. I don't think it's going to happen, but that's another option uh, for Chip Kelly to promote from within. Um, yeah, so, and then defensively, um, it was just really bad personnel-wise. They've they've gotten some guys in the portal. Um, so they lost Otito Bonia and uh, Daytona Jackson, the two starting defensive tackles. But they brought in Gary Smith from Duke and uh, Jacob Sykes from Harvard, um, two pretty quality transfers, um, both of whom could slot in more or less immediately. I mean, they still have um, uh, uh, God, Jay, uh, the, the USC guy. What's his name? Jay, uh, Jay Toya. Jay Toya. Man, brain dead. Um, they we still have Jay, a lot. Yeah, Jay Toya uh, coming in, um, and he's going to more than likely start at one of those positions. He was an absolute stud when he like that's. That yeah, spring for USC. Best commentary on USC football of last year, by the way. Jay Toya. Everyone was saying, oh, he's going to come in and start at USC. Like, he's he's blowing things up. He spent most of the year on the bench at UCLA on a bad defense. If you want to yeah. know what was wrong with USC last year, that right He was going to be a stud, yeah. He was going to be a stud for USC, and he couldn't really see the field until the end of the year for UCLA. Um, well, hopefully he can be a stud for UCLA this year. Yeah, we'll see. Um, and then uh, the one that um, is kind of exciting is uh, Darius Muasau, um, the linebacker from Hawaii. He's kind of a tackle machine um, for Hawaii. So if he can come in and provide a little bit of that, UCLA's kind of been without a true middle linebacker for a long time. Um, so, you know, it's a Mountain West guy, but he played really, really well at that level. So maybe the step up, he's going to be able to translate. Nice. Um, anything else on the... The Bruins going in. We don't know spring football yet. So, yeah, we'll, we'll, they don't to... usually announce that schedule until about three days beforehand, which is funny. So, we'll, uh, like, but David said, we, we sort of blew our wad by talking to all the experts early. Uh, but, you know, we'll get some more storylines and stuff coming up from spring football. I might get fired up and watch all the spring games again if they show them on don't the Pac 12 network. David will not, um, do that kind of stuff. But that's, uh, yeah, I, I think that was pretty successful. Like, maybe the last two. Programs we talked about, the experts weren't very good, but we had all the experts on for other the other 10 programs. I think they did an excellent job. I agree. Yeah, it was good stuff. Uh, okay, why don't we take a quick break, and we'll be back and answer a few questions.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right, we're back on the podcast of Champions. We've got a lot of questions this week. I keep forgetting to use this drop, but I always love this one. Now for my favorite part of the show. What did I say? Talk to the audience. Oh, God, this is always death. What's well, actually better than death for our listeners? Because we have some really... Uh, great questions. Um, do you want to start off, David? I think we're, I think we only have like three this week. Is it, uh, Casey? Yeah. Okay. All right. Good idea or bad idea. David and Ryan want to get your take on this. I'm starting to see recruits include pictures from the eighties and nineties in their offer announcement tweets. Seems like let's old is new again to capitalize on this with recruits. How about one weekend this season, all PAC 12 schools suit up in throwback uniforms. Most schools have some kind of retro uni- uniform on hand already. Relatively light lift uh, with big buzz upside. If any AD could pull it off, seems like Klyavkov could. Uh, weeks four or ten, or weeks five or ten, look like prime opportunities. Appreciate your thoughts and thanks for putting together the series of conference team reviews, Casey and Rancho Cucamonga. Hey, Casey. Uh, Cal does it pretty regularly, right? I think when they play USC, they they like the old Joe Cal. Yeah, but coordinating issue. to do it all in a single weekend would be very cool. It'd be kind of fun. Like I think it would get the Pac-12 talked about. Um, yeah, and then, you know, schools can sell more jerseys. I like that one. I didn't, I haven't heard of anyone doing something like this, but I think that would be, uh, you, he asked good idea or bad idea. I think it's a good idea. Great idea. Yeah. Love it, Casey. Thanks, Casey, for that one. Our buddy, uh, Peter in Vancouver wants to talk about playoffs. Gentlemen, since it is the off season, it's a good time for speculation. Of course, we do a lot of that. I would like your thoughts on these questions. So he starts off with, uh, which do you think will happen first? The Pac-12 team will make the four-team playoffs or the college football playoffs is expanded? Uh, they'll make the four-team playoff. I would agree because the expansions thing could pop at some point, but it's not going to be in 2022. I don't think it can be in 2023. So, like, it might be 2024. And then I think it's over in, like, 2025 or 2026. So, like, yeah. I, I think you got two more years of four at this point, I th- I think. From what I've read. Minimum over, four. Yeah. yeah. Pushed it out. Minimum two years. Yeah. Uh, and then closely related uh, is whether a Pac-12 team wins in the national championship or the college football is expanded beyond four teams. Uh, expansion first. I would agree. Um, I think, I mean, if Utah can, Utah's elevated, you're, you're within striking distance of the playoff. Shut up. 
Just shut up. Shut up. No, shut up. Because it's USC, and it's USC in two years, and that's the question, whether USC in two years or three years can win a national championship. You don't think Utah can elevate? No, I mean, Utah can make a playoff. The same way Washington in 2016 can make a playoff. But to actually win the title, they don't have the collection of talent. And that's no knock on Utah. Utah's a really good program, but, but they, need to they, recru- they need to recruit at a much higher level. They can make the playoff. This was about winning a national championship. So can they build off the Rose Bowl year to have a 2023 class that's like But it's it's 10. not just one class. you got to have two or three that classes once, then you can, sticking together right. to so, make it work. But I think if, they, if they're on the trajectory where they could get that, if they make a top 10 class out of a Rose Bowl appearance, and then it's a college football playoff appearance— and then maybe it's a top five class. Like, I don't know. Like, I think that's the but I progression st- I, you have to get to. I still think you're looking at five five years is the timeline there because the, the recruiting has upgraded, I think, the last few years for Utah. It's got to take another leap. It's got to get up into, I think, with the coaching in that program, I don't think it needs to be at, like, Georgia levels, though. Really, it does. Um, but you need to recruit at that level. And the programs that are capable of doing that in the league are USC, Oregon, and God forbid me mentioning them, uh, UCLA. <laughs> so Oregon's the other team that Dan Land Landanning already Landanning Landanning already won a national championship last year. He put together a recruiting staff from hell. Like as far as like the rest of the Pac-12 is concerned, they'll go out there and recruit their asses off. So there's potential there too. You mentioned USC. Obviously, that's the probably easiest path. But I don't think any of those teams will win it before they expand. Yeah. All right. And last question. Uh, this is from Jackson. Uh, Herm Edwards situation. Hey, guys, love the pod and love the analysis about the Pac-12. Personally, I do feel like you guys know what you're talking about, and I applaud you for going to a closer source if you don't have the full story. As an ASU fan, I found myself facing disappointment after disappointment between football, basketball, hockey, etc. However, the current situation with the Arizona State football team is particularly troubling. I was encouraged by the firing of Zach Hill, mostly because I feel like he's an incompetent offensive coordinator, as well as Antonio Pierce. While the Pierce loss hurts a little more, it felt inevitable given that he was the recruiting coordinator as well. The questions I'm left with now regard Herm Edwards. Why is President Michael Crow waiting to fire Herm Edwards? The only logical reasons I have heard are, one, ASU is waiting until sanctions are given by the NCAA to fire Edwards, or two, Ray Anderson does not want to fire Herm given that the two are close friends. If the case is number one, I have a little more understanding, but still come to the conclusion that if you're just waiting to fire someone, there's no point in waiting. Clearly, you've already decided the fate of that individual. Why hesitate in doing what you believe is best? In the case that it is the second reason, uh, Ray Anderson not wanting to fire a good friend, then quite frankly, Ray Anderson should be fired too. I feel Arizona State Athletics, generally speaking, have prospered under Anderson, and many sports programs outside of football and basketball are headed in the right direction. But if, as the athletic director, you are refusing to fire a man that has not only failed to coach your football team, but is also now in some way responsible for recruiting violations that could set your football program back multiple years, then you yourself are not capable of being a Power 5 athletic director, period. The second question I have is, who will be the next football coach at Arizona State? Do you guys think they would be able to get a coach that has already coached at the Division One level? Or will they need to settle for a lesser-known, potentially worse coach until they are a respectable program again? Thanks for all that you guys do. I love listening to the pod and wish you both the best. Thanks, Jackson. That was a really uh, well-thought-out email. Um, As far as number one, number two, I think it's a little bit of a combination that they're sort of waiting, but I think, and it's not just that Ray Anderson, they're they're close friends. I feel like they're just tied. They're tied together. So they're they're tied at the waist. And if Ray Anderson throws Herm Edwards overboard, like he's following them because they're going to, you know, and Michael Crow, the, the president, He's, he's along with them too. They had this idea for a different kind of 
model when it comes to athletic directors, I mean, athletic departments, and they're sort of all about it. Now, if you remember, I mean, Crow was the guy that kept uh, Larry Scott around a long time. He was his biggest advocate. So I I don't think it's as easy as just, if you fire Edwards, it's sort of like, you got to fire more, like he can't be the end of it. And I, you feel like once you, you fired the, the younger assistants, okay, that's fine. The coordinators are gone. All right. But Herm Edwards is indicated and all, you know, implicated in all of these in the dossiers and all that kind of stuff too, from what I've read. But if you, I don't think Ray Anderson can be there if Herm's not there. So then you got to get rid of the athletic director and there's going to be, you know, questions about the president who started distancing himself from Larry Scott late. And he's too involved in athletics, too involved. Yeah. Um, He's like a bad owner in the NFL. There, there, with 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 uh, presidents of universities or chancellors or what have you, you want them to be, you want them to be fans essentially, but you don't want them to be that involved in decision making. And it feels like he's too involved. Um, so yeah, I mean, the reality is, Jackson, everything you're saying is nail on the head. Uh, Herm needs to be fired. Ray Anderson needs to be fired. I think we all know that it's more number two than it is number one. Um, with your reasons there, yeah. um, I think it has much more to do with Ray Anderson's personal relationship with Herm Edwards, and it needs to end. Um, and that was a bad idea from the start, and it needs to end. Never hire your friends. Um, and then your last question, look, uh, ASU is a is a the top of the the very tip top of the middle tier in the Pac-12, you should be able to hire a good coach. It shouldn't have to be dropping down several rungs to go get a coach. Um, ASU, when it's good, has the potential to be a really strong contender every single year in the Pac-12. Um, and that just requires a good coach. Um, but ASU has real recruiting potential. Phoenix is one of the you know uh, biggest growing hotbeds of recruiting talent in the West. Um, and it's, you know, what I would do if I'm Arizona is go get somebody with the, or Arizona state, sorry, uh, go get somebody. I'm going to lead into that. Go get somebody with the energy of Jed fish because the energy of Jed fish in Tempe would have been huge, would have been a top 15, top 10 class. Um, because ASU has a lot more to sell and that's no knocking Arizona. It's just, there's not as much, um, uh, football history, football tradition at Arizona. Um, and it's not as, it's, you know, not as much of a hotbed in Tucson as it is in Phoenix. Um, so, uh, ASU, um, it's, it's a, it's a sleeping, very large man. I won't call it a sleeping giant, but it is a sleeping, very large man in fact, 12 and should be better than it is. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, now the issue could be depending on the sanctions, does it make the job less attractive if there are scholarship limitations, bowl game things like not that. Not to the right coach, not to the right guy. Um somebody who understands the potential for ASU and I don't know who that is. Um probably somebody with some background in the West and some background maybe even at ASU or whatnot. Um but somebody who understands what that program can do when it's actually run correctly and well. Um because I do think in the same way we talk about um the UCLA program being in 20 years of doldrums and USC being in 10 years of doldrums. I think you can say ASU has been in a little bit of a doldrum itself. Um, not to that extent, because um, they're pretty consistently like a bowl team every single year. Like seven and five forever. Yeah, yeah, just seven and five forever. But there's more potential than that in that program. Yeah. All right. Well, good stuff. We appreciate all the uh, questions from everybody. We appreciate uh, Jackson Moore and all the other uh, 24-7 sports Pac-12 experts that have come on the show over the last three weeks. we got to figure out what we're going to do going forward. Or I do, because then you'll just say, sure, maybe, or... Or no. Or no, yeah. Or just not respond. 
Yeah, or if it, yeah, that's the best one. Yeah, I like that one. one. My favorite one. And then show up, and I texted today. I'm like, "Are you coming in person?" He's like, "Yep." I'm like, "Oh, cool." And I said, "Yeah, motherfucker." You did, yeah. Yeah, that's right. Um, nice, but uh, yeah, we got to to wrap all this stuff up. Well, we'll get some experts on. If you have any ideas for the stuff, you know, just you know, podcast at gmail dot com. Yeah, we won't stuff. we won't do them, but please send them in. Yeah, I'm sure there's, there's remember there's a whole bunch of stuff. We're like, oh, we'll get to that eventually. Uh-huh. And we, if you remember, even, please reach out. Yeah resend those emails or whatever and we're like oh yeah we could talk about that oh wait that's gonna take some work probably we're not gonna talk about that yep that's that's usually the way it goes all right well thank you guys for uh listening here to our little show podcast of champions here on the 24 7 sports network that is david woods i am ryan abraham we appreciate you listening very much hope you enjoyed the show and we will talk to you next time